Welcome to CII Radio. My name is Bobby Seals and I'm Communications Executive at the CII. In this episode, I'll be talking to Shane Halfpenny Ray and Lois Ratcliffe. In this episode of the podcast, we are talking about how the general insurance and financial planning professions are advancing the discussions around diversity and inclusion to bring about meaningful action and positive change. We are joined by Lois Ratcliffe, Internship Programme Manager at Inclusion Scotland, and Shane Halfpenny Ray, Policy and Public Affairs Advisor at the CII. To find out more about this podcast and for useful links, go to thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here is our conversation with Lois and Shane. Hello, Lois and Shane. Thank you for joining us on CII Radio today. Hiya. Thank you for having me. So Shane, how are the insurance and financial services professions committing to improving diversity and inclusion and how are they turning this discussion into action? Yeah, well, there's, um, there's, there's quite a lot going on uh, across the professions and there are plenty of commitments, initiatives and organisations focused on improving DNI. Some are Some are across the profession, others implemented within individual firms organizations so there's there's quite a, a bustle of activity i won't obviously list all of it but some of this includes uh, the insurance and women's futures initiative uh, which is a collaboration between insurance and personal finance professions to improve women's lifelong financial resilience and some of the root causes of women's pensions deficit so the, the two key kind of financial pledges that, that sit at the heart of that that are quite important to, to flag up a inclusive customer financial lives pledge and the, the financial flexible working pledges which saw thousands of professionals sign up to them to better support gender equality. Uh, and, and the Inclusive Customer Financial Lives Pledge encourages professionals to take a whole customer approach to get customers to consider the impact of their life circumstances. And the Financial Flexible Working Pledge requires firms to comprehend the long-term financial impacts of working from home on their employees and, of course, um, ways in which they can support moving towards that. I think it's worth flagging some of the work that the, the Trade Association, the ABI, have been doing on DNI, um, and this includes some of the work they've, they've partnered on us through the IWF, but also uh, the further work they've done in committing their members to, to making parental pay and arrangements available publicly, as well as their ongoing work on, on mental health. And, you know, we expect their mental health standards actually imminently uh, which will be a great boost uh, on that front. Then there's the Cabinet Office-sponsored Access to Insurance Working Group, which is a body set up by the Cabinet Office-appointed industry, insurance industry and profession disability champion, Johnny Timpson. And that's looking to improve consumer access to protection insurance, particularly for those with long-term health conditions and disabilities. And as part of the CII's role chairing the professional work stream, which, which I chair on, on behalf of them, we've also expanded this view to look at the access to careers in insurance and have produced an inclusive workplace guide in collaboration with Scope, as well as a neurodiversity guide for managers in collaboration with Aon Willis Towers Watson. The, the key thing is that there's plenty going on. Um, and it doesn't even scratch the surface of the activity centre at DNI. But having said that, we've got really good at raising awareness uh, and identifying gaps, but we have to do better about the action we take to, to close those gaps. Uh, and 
just just because we should. Um, and I think it's important that whilst we can celebrate that, that success, uh, we, we need to realise that that now is a turning point for us to, to really reflect on on how far we have come, yes, but also how far we still have to go. Um, part of this, uh, I wanted to, to loop into the CIO's own reflection on this. Uh, and so recently we announced for firms with corporate charter status that from 2021, they would need to evidence how DNI policies were impacting their firms and hopefully show how they are fostering a more diverse workforce. And that's the contingent part on, on that renewal of that status, because we believe in committing to change and following it through. And it's also why the Caribbean Insurance Network recently published some of the work that they've been doing on their first research paper on six ways to improve racial diversity in insurance. And obviously at the heart of that is the realisation that there's a clear lack of progress on, on ethnic diversity and inclusion. But I'm, I'm particularly pleased to, to have Lewis here with us today because Inclusion Scotland are doing fantastic work in both public and private sector organisations. And she has far more expertise than I do in changing the mindset of people and organisations when it comes to creating a more inclusive workplace. Okay, great. Thanks, Shane. Sounds like there's a lot going on in the DNI space. Um, Lois, could you tell us a bit about what a DPO is, um, a disabled people's organisation, and why it's important? Sure. Um, thank you. A disabled people's organisation is an organisation where over 50% of the board is made up of disabled people. Why is that important? I think that's important because when we look at organisations on racial equality or gender equality, you wouldn't have a board that was made up of anything less than 50% of the demographic they're choosing to represent. So when you work with a disabled people's organisation, you know you're working from top down, lived experience feeding that organisation, their organisation's approach. Because we know that the real experts in the experiences of barriers and exclusion are the people living that reality daily, the disabled people. And what we know in any disabled people's organisation that you may come across or work with is that we treat the underlying causes of exclusion. And what's important to recognise about that is the underlying causes of exclusion are not specific to one particular impairment type or condition, but they are specific to an approach. And what disabled people's organisations do is work with other organisations to ensure that their approach is one that's not going to be a stick in plaster, but it's really going to challenge our systems and understanding of exclusion and barriers to remove them so that, I guess, employers can access more talent because there's so many uh, disabled, talented graduates out there and disabled people and professionals who either are excluded from access and employment because they can't get accessible job interviews or applications. But also we know that retention is an issue for disabled people. We know that over 400,000 people a year in the UK go on to disability benefits because they cannot be retained in their employment. And that's not because they are not retainable or employable. It's because the employers simply are not equipped with the tools to make the reasonable adjustments to create the environment that that person can thrive in. And I guess that's important to picking up on what Shane was saying before, because often as a DPO, what we face when we go into organisations and look at protected characteristic groups, it's a compounded barriers that I think is really interesting when we go forward today. Look at the compounded barriers. If you happen to cross over many of the protected characteristic groups, then there's going to be multiple barriers that you're facing on a daily basis. And we work a lot with that in our um, programmes that we offer in Inclusion Scotland. And we find that we have quite a diverse range of candidates from 
all the protected characteristic groups because they share a similar experience of exclusion and of daily either discrimination or barriers from that shared experience of being disabled. Okay, great. Thanks, Lois. Um, you spoke a bit about the importance of representing disabled people there um, and the barriers faced by disabled people in retaining employment. Would you be able to go into a bit more detail about the barriers faced by disabled people in entering and progressing in their employment and why does this matter? So the barriers that disabled people face in entering employment can sometimes come from um, inaccessible adverts or the wording that's used in applications. So we help organisations look at how they're wording and describing roles. So, for example, some roles can be described as a person having exceptionally good listening skills. Now, if you have a hearing impairment, that could put you off applying for the job. And we know that with the Equality Act... To put that down in a job application, you have to have a genuine requirement for the job to put that um, that need in place or that um, requirement on a role. Employers aren't necessarily putting that down to exclude people with either a hearing impairment or if it's good communication skills, someone who may have a verbal impairment. They're putting that down because what we know in society today is that, you know, you pick up a phone and you make a phone call or you listen to a conference call. We go in to help organisations understand that if you can put has good communication skills and leave it as an open-ended question, you may be surprised about the um, people that you end up interviewing and how they've overcome the barriers that we are, that you may have perceived for them. So if I can give you an example of that, we worked with an employer and they were scoring candidates. And one of the candidates they scored who scored the highest was a, a deaf lady. And the, the employer turned around to us and said, uh, it's going to be hard. I know they scored the highest, but we make a lot of conference calls. And one of the things that was like a really practical reason for why he was trying to understand the barrier and how it could be overcome. But we worked with that employer. We put in place technology that they'd never heard of and actually the candidate had never heard of. And they were able to overcome the barrier that had been perceived. And that intern is now there as a permanent paid employee with that employer. So I guess it's important to understand how we're unintentionally excluding disabled people to be able to challenge that. And there's some very basic and simple things employers could can do to make their recruitment processes more accessible, which I can come on to later. Okay, great. Thanks, Lois. Lots of really good points there. Um, How can employers in the insurance profession make their practices more inclusive and attract more diverse candidates and potential customers? Uh, Yeah, um, again, that kind of feeds on nicely from from what Lois was talking about there. And perhaps with some context, maybe we should focus on on the Equality Act itself, just as a first and foremost point point of reference. Um, You know, this was a piece piece of legislation, groundbreaking piece of legislation uh, in 2010 uh, that established protected characteristics to prevent discrimination against people, you know, who fit within those categories. And those characteristics include age, disability, gender reassignment, marriage, civil partnership, pregnancy and maternity, race, religion or belief, sex and sexual orientation. So quite a wide kind of range of characteristics that people obviously day-to-day face discrimination for. Uh, and generally speaking, that act requires organisations to ensure that there's no discrimination or victimisation or harassment even of those people and that the equality of opportunity is there for all employees and encouraging them to have positive relationships um, with those people, either with when they have those characteristics or when they don't. Um, so organisations have a have a legal responsibility to ensure that they consider each stage of the employee life cycle and take steps to ensure that all employers can enter, develop and advance within an organisation. And there's also a duty uh, on an organisation not to act less favourably to an individual from within a protected protected category. Um, So as Lois kind of 
talked about there when it comes to people with a disability an employee an employer sorry can't act less favorably to a disabled employee because of a challenge resulting from their disability so just because you know they may have a speech impediment or a hearing issue that you know they they can't be looked at and judged and, and treated less favorably than a colleague who doesn't have those issues at all those disabilities sorry and so in the context of disability one of the main uh, duties or organizations have is to ensure that they make reasonable adjustments within the workplace or, or to workplace practices themselves. Uh, and this is in order to ensure that all employees can access work and work safely and productively during employment and are not disadvantaged compared to others. So that that is a that is a legal requirement, but sometimes people are confused about what you know you mean by a reasonable adjustment. So it can be anything from amending work hours, changing work location, additional training, time off work for treatment, specialist equipment if necessary personal support, adjusting the physical environment if that's needed, uh, and allocating some duties to others when required. So many of the adjustments fall under existing pledges, actually, that the firms and professionals have already signed up to. So when we talk about initiatives such as IWF and there was the discussion about flexible working, well, that's a key kind of, it's a key example of how you can change the working environment to better collect uh, the needs of, of people from different characteristics and obviously apply it to, to a more modern um, work practice. So obviously we're all kind of experiencing that at the moment uh, in, in different shapes and forms anyway, but I think it's a really important way to say that, you know, not all forms of um, adjustments um, are, are big and expensive things. Sometimes it's, it's things of just changing your perspective. And as kind of, as, as Lois said, again, it's, it's not just about those internal applications, but it's also some of the external facing aspects. So, you know, how you communicate, that inclusive communication that you use to, to a different variety of audiences, um, whether it is, you know, making your, um, your website accessible to people with different uh, dis- disabilities, um, or if it's, you know, when you're marketing uh, material to different people, making sure that you have voices of different characteristics uh, so that it doesn't just feel like one one kind of focus, even if that's not your aim. So one of the core roles that we play at the CII and PFS, as I said, is to help raise standards across the profession and at the heart of that, that lies ethics. So although I've talked about some of the kind of the legal components that, that you know, organizations must do, um, I think it's just about doing the right thing as well when you, when you, when you can uh, and considering the moral moral principles at the core of this so that you know we go beyond just what we have to do but we can make those changes because we want to do it because we want to build a fairer society we want to you know improve our our business outlook because there are also those kind of commercial um, strengths as well so um, that's I think that those are some of the examples I would give but I'm sure Lois probably has some better ones as well. Well, no, I wouldn't say better ones, but certainly I could come in on that because I do think that what you're saying is vitally important about the the moral aspect and living in a more equal society. But there's also an element of recent lessons from COVID-19. You know, society has recently been forced to undergo a huge shift and how we operate, and especially businesses, when we look at remote and flexible working. Now, for years, um, disabled people have campaigned for remote working practices and flexible working practices. And it's something that 
uh, businesses were coming around to, but were suddenly forced to kind of um, put in place relatively quickly in recent months. And what we've seen is the companies that have fared well into that transition and proved to be pretty resilient, if we take it away from kind of travel, and if we take it away from industries that were based on travel, but businesses that could, could still operate within the realms of remote working, the ones that have fared well were the ones that had remote and flexible working practices already in place. And the ones that have perhaps found that transition more slightly harder are the ones who perhaps didn't have that in place. And so what one of the things that we've been talking to employers about is actually if we would have been a bit further along on the accessible and inclusive movement in business, we would have been better prepared for this global pandemic because as standard, businesses would have already had the infrastructure in place to do remote and flexible working. Um, and I suppose part of the challenge and where, where the insurance industry and many other industries could really learn and leverage the learning from this, this time is about what more could be offered to us if we actually listen to the lessons of this time? Because one of the big things that we learn about inclusion and disability inclusion is a sense of innovation. Because once we stop thinking about placing barriers onto people and we think about solutions focused removing the barriers, we become a much more agile, a much more adaptable organisation, business, society. And I think that's really the momentum as a disabled people's organisations we want to continue to push with. Let's think about this as an opportunity, as a chance to learn and grow and develop. And I think sometimes there's a fear of getting it wrong. I think lots of employers can be can be a bit scared of, of moving forward on certain agendas or items because of that fear of what if I get it wrong? Well, actually, one of the things that we say to employers is, you might not always get it right and you might not always know the answers, but both things are okay if we're listening to people's lived experience and recognising it as an expertise and learning from it. And it's a great resource to draw on at any time. And it's only from really getting things wrong and learning that we that we move forward and we evolve. Okay, great. Thanks, Lois. So Shane, you spoke about the role of the CII in helping to raise standards and ethics across the insurance profession. What work is the CII and PFS currently doing in the DNI space? Yes, uh, there's a lot of work going on, as, uh, as I said before. Um, I think some of the, the key initiatives that kind of instantly spring to mind is the work with IWF. And obviously, as I said, building that kind of that mission of analysing a woman's life and, and the financial risks that are placed on women more so than men uh, and trying to uh, collaborate and work towards ways to change that. But also, obviously, how to improve the structures within the, the profession to, to improve that, that access for women into bigger kind of brighter careers uh, than, than perhaps uh, some of them are already offered at the moment. So I think that's a really kind of crucial bit and, and perhaps one of the most kind of well-known and, and well-celebrated across, across professions. The other bit of work that I've already mentioned as well is uh, access to insurance. Um, so there's, there's been a lot of work that, that we've been engaged in in this space around uh, improving access to protection insurance for people with disabilities and, and as I said before, careers in insurance as well. I'll mention, uh, I can talk about this in a minute, but um, one of the key pieces of work that I was proud to be a part of was the uh, collaboration with Scope on our inclusive workplace guide that we launched uh, late last year. Um, and that was obviously focusing on how to, you know, structurally improve an organisation to, to make it more open and accessible to people with disabilities. But then since then, uh, we also launched the Neurodiversity Managers Guide. So uh, guidance for, for managers um, who, who perhaps would manage people with neurodiverse needs. And there's also existing work that we'll be doing on the Equality Act uh, and, you know, some guidance around um, how that 
kind of how that plays out uh, 10 years on from its from its uh, submission and then also the upcoming disability strategy that the the, gov- the UK government uh, in Westminster is preparing uh, and how we can make meaningful contributions as a profession to that work uh, going forward one of the bits i'm really excited about um as we're hoping hoping to partner up with the um the uh, African Caribbean Insurance Network, because you know, obviously, with Black Lives Matter movement in mind, ethnic diversity and inclusion really does need to improve. Particularly, obviously, uh, when it comes to insurance and and the rest of financial services, but obviously wider in society as well. So we're hoping to work with them and perhaps follow in the footsteps of some of the guidance we've done before in ways that we can, you know, improve that access for the BAME community. Um, and then obviously the, there's existing work that we do around social mobility. So opening up access to careers and insurance for everyone, you know, regardless of, of background or, or any kind of protected characteristics. So we have the Aspire apprenticeship program that um, I think last year, actually, uh, certainly on the personal finance side, um, registered the highest um, level of, of, of gender kind of um, activity where, where there was you know more women than, than ever before who were engaged in the programs which is fantastic to see but there's also um, you know existing partnerships with universities and college that we colleges sorry that we have in place to try to improve different access points that people have to the profession to make sure that it's not just one route in uh, and obviously you know build a, a talent pipeline that, that's fit for the, the 21st century. And Shane, can you tell our listeners a bit more about the recent work you mentioned that the CII has been doing with Scope to raise awareness of creating more inclusive workplaces? Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, this this work was uh, kind of built on on work that Scope had previously done independently of us um, around kind of reporting on disability figures, um, and we collaborated with them to to try to tailor that that guidance uh, to an insurance and personal finance audience, but also so that we can kind of ex- include specific advice on on kind of the wider changes that an organisation can make across all points of a sorry all points of a person's work journey at a company so you know we've, we've touched on some of this before but this included kind of specific hr advice about initial job listings um all the way through to, to how you retain disabled employees making sure that you know you, you're building an environment that, that people want to stay within but also can progress with them and ensuring that you know if someone acquired a disability during their time of employment that they can safely disclose that information and be supported uh, and you know not fear that they wouldn't be able to do that or it would preclude them from certain opportunities um, and I think that message on reporting is particularly important because as it usually is uh, with the CII, it puts the onus on building a relationship with your employees based on trust and confidence. So yes, you can report figures and, and you know, show how well you're doing to identify areas um, of, of you know, great success or obviously areas of improvement. But I think most importantly, when it comes to talking about reporting is Sometimes it's lost when we talk about it, but it's the most important thing is establishing confidence with your employees so that they can be open and honest and you can be open and honest with them uh, and really listen to their lived experience. And, you know, 
obviously, so that they know that they will be supported if they disclose that information. I think that's, you know, the really important part of that work. And it was it was great to, to be able to share some of the kind of the case studies of people who already work within the insurance profession and how they've been supported by the employers. And I actually received some other personal messages from, from people that, that contributed to that um, about how it was great to see other people who have experienced similar kind of lived experiences their own. So I think, you know, there is a positive movement as we've already established within insurance and personal finance in this space. Yes, more can be done, but I think that's a great reference point of, you know, if you are looking at at ways that you can be more accessible, that's a great place to start. Okay, great. Yeah, sounds like there's some really positive change coming about as a result of that work. Where can our listeners go to find out more about the work? Um, So our work, obviously, everything that I've mentioned, uh, you can either find on the website. We talk about it often enough in in the journal, Professional Focus. Um, And obviously, uh, when I'm given great kind of uh, support in, uh, in podcasts such as this. But I think anything else, you know, if you're interested in any of the work, particularly around access to insurance, which which I lead on behalf of the CI, feel free to, to reach out and contact me. Yeah, so I guess for any employers out there who are looking to, um, for some quick guides and access points of how to make their businesses more inclusive, on Inclusion Scotland's website, we have an access to social media guide that's full of hints and tips about how to make your social media more accessible. In today's current age, where most information is coming across thick and fast and ever-changing, social media and making accessible is vitally important for your customers and for your employees so you can go in there it's a free guide to download and it tells you simple things like ensuring that every image you put up on your social media post has an image description on it or some alt text embedded in it and the guide actually talks you through how to do that but it's a quick one-stop shop on how to make your uh, social media more accessible what we also have on our website is a free downloadable accessible and effective remote working guide. Again, that comes in with our lived experience, hints and tips on how to make your remote working world much more accessible, but also much more effective. Um, We find this is useful, not just for disabled people, but um, certainly many of our own employees and external partners who are not disabled have found that those tips in there based on and coming from people with lived experience who've been using remote working as a tool as part of their daily working life have really been beneficial for us in the current time. So yeah, you can go on there. There's two guides that are downloadable currently. We're also about to launch an employer e-bulletin in the next month that'll be full of information and tips, some legal advice, some accessible advice and toolkits um, that employers can sign up to. So simply follow Inclusion Scotland on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn and we'll be announcing information about our e-bulletin soon. But you can also find out more about the the policies and practices that we're um, campaigning for currently and also some announcements about what, what legislation to look out for and what may have changed. Okay, great. Thank you, Shane and Lois, for speaking with us today. Clearly, lots going on in the diversity and, and inclusion space across both the insurance and financial planning professions. Yes, thank you for having us on today. It's been great speaking to you. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of CII Radio. To find out more, visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts or follow us on Twitter at CII Group. Until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening to CII Radio. 